This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open them to Ezekiel 37, the book of Ezekiel. Maybe not one you visited recently, but we're going to get in there today. We're going to be in Ezekiel 37 today. Ezekiel, here's the background on him. He was a prophet in Babylon. Okay? He was a prophet to the people of Israel in Babylon while they were in exile. Now, why were they in exile? Well, God had originally given the Israelites absolutely everything. He brought them together. He formed them as a people. And he said to them, everything I've given you is a gift. Your land, your nation, your identity, your freedom, I gave it all to you. So if you turn away from me, if you turn away from my sustaining hand, you will lose everything. Well, what happened? Well, they did turn away from him. And they did lose everything. And they were invaded by the Babylonians. They were taken into exile. And because of that, they had no hope of a future. But God, through Ezekiel, gives them a picture of a resurrection in chapter 37 that was not only a hope to them, but it's a hope to us. Let's look at it together. Ezekiel 37, starting in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. And he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it, declares the Lord. 
this text isn't just a hope for the people of Israel as they were in exile in Babylon. It's a hope for us. And we're going to look at this under two headings today. We're going to look at the cause of hopelessness and the means of hopefulness. The cause of hopelessness and the means of hopefulness. First, the cause of hopelessness. These verses contain incredible graphics. Uh, The Lord leads Ezekiel through a vision into the middle of a desert valley that was full of bones, very dry bones, like CSI dead for 70 years kind of bones. It's really bizarre. So what's the meaning of that? Well, we're given the significance of it in verse 11. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying we have become old, dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. As I mentioned in the intro, God's people have been invaded by the Babylonians. They've been taken into exile. And the Valley of Dry Bones is a picture. It's a picture of how Israel thought of themselves as a nation. It's a picture of how Israel thought of themselves as a nation. Now, notice that exile is not just a physical condition. It's not just a geographic condition. Did you notice that in the text? It's an existential condition. The bones are a picture of their condition as exiles, but it's also a picture of their hopelessness. They say all our hope is gone. Now, exile, the word exile, the idea of exile, the concept of exile is one of about 50 themes that run from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end. And so Israel's exile is actually a picture of a different exile. It's a picture of a human exile that goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. When Adam and Eve sinned, what happened? The human race was put in exile. We were put in exile from the Garden of Eden. And what was, in the, what was in the Garden of Eden? It was the tree of life, right? And Adam and Eve were exiled because of their sin. They were cut off from the source of eternal life and flourishing. In other words, the Bible insists that we were never created to be this way. We were not created to die. We were never meant to be exiled from the Garden of Eden. We were never meant to be exiled from the tree of life. Deep in your heart and deep in the heart of every human being out there, whether they believe in God or not, they know this to be true. This is why every funeral I have ever done, you can see a level of discomfort on the faces of those attending. Death is the underlying cause of all hopelessness. I don't care what the situation is, what the circumstance is, death underlies it all. C.S. Lewis once reflected on that. He said, if you are really a product of a materialistic universe where there is no God, how is it you don't feel at home there? Do fish complain of the sea for being wet? Or if they did complain about being wet, would that fact itself not strongly suggest that they had not always or would not always be purely aquatic creatures? You see what he's saying? He's saying in a purely materialistic universe, to complain about death or to be uncomfortable with death makes as much sense as a fish complaining about being wet. Lewis contends that our anger with death or discomfort with death suggests that we were not built to die. Deep inside us resides a memory trace. And it whispers to us ad nauseum, death isn't the way it's supposed to be. It's an intruder. Death is unnatural. No matter what the Lion King tells you, death is unnatural. It's exile. It's the theme of exile. The whole human race 
is in exile. We're exiled from our true home, from our true selves. We were not meant to die. We're all in exile and we all face death. And because of that, our, it makes our lives hopeless and meaningless. A man by the name of Viktor Frankl was a Jewish doctor who was put in the death camps uh, during World War II. And uh, he survived and uh, ended up writing a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And he, in it, he talks about three basic ways uh, people responded or handled being in the death camps. And he talks about how horrible they were. Death was everywhere. It was imminent. Uh, You were stripped of everything. And he he writes about how he he noticed people responding to all of that in one of three ways. He said some people became very bad people. They lost all their principles. They did anything they could to survive. They, They betrayed one another. They exploited people. They just became really bad people. Some people responded to the suffering and the imminent death by just giving up. They, they virtually dried up. They curled up in a ball in the corner and died. They became despondent. And then he said some people became quietly heroic. They demonstrated courage. They made sacrifices. They were heroic. And Frankel, as he observed this, was trying to process what is it that made the difference Why these three responses to the death camps? And in the book, he says that his his conclusion was it depended on what your hope was in. He said, if you had a hope or a meaning in life, something that you live for, that suffering and death can take away from you, then you were a goner in the death camp. If your hope was money, that was taken away from you. If you live for family, that was taken away from you. If you live for status, that was taken away from you because rich and poor were all thrown together in the death camps. And he realized most people did not have a hope that could stand up to death. They didn't have a hope that could overcome death. Their hope was located in this life. Dr. Frankel realized that most people live for things in this life. Money, status, family, love, things. But suffering and death, which is inevitable... We'll take that all away. This is the cause of hopelessness. Freeing people from poverty does not give them a hope that can stand up to death. Curing people from disease does not give them a hope that can stand up to death. It's still coming. Remedying society's injustices does not offer people hope that can stand up to death. As good as all these things are, as good as all of them them are, they don't provide a hope that can stand up to death. Death is the ultimate exile. And death takes out hope unless you have a hope that transcends death. So what does God tell us are the means of hopefulness? Well, there's three of them in the passage before us. The first is that we have to hear the truth. We have to hear the truth. So the Lord leads Ezekiel through row after row of dry bones. Did you see that? Through them, back and forth, this vast valley of bone after bone. He leads him through it. He's looking upon all this, and he asks him, can these bones live? 
or to build on the metaphor, will you ever have hope again? Will the people of Israel ever have hope again? Will you, Christian, ever have hope again? And so God describes a resurrection in verses 7 and 8. But did you notice how God gives the bones new life? Did you, know how, how, did you notice how hope arises? Did he snap his fingers? No. What does he do? He asks Ezekiel, the preacher, to preach to the bones. Many of us preachers know about that. We know about this experience. Now think about this with me. All preachers know what it's like to preach to people who don't get it. Wait, that's not a comment on you. You're by far the greatest congregation the world's ever seen. Okay. But all preachers know what it's like to preach to people who don't get it. But you've got to admit, what God is asking Ezekiel to do is a little bit out there, don't you think? Picture it in your mind's eye. You're in this desert valley with, with skeletons, with bones scattered all over the place. And God says to the preacher, preach to him. A little strange. A little strange. But this is God's ordained method of bringing about a resurrection. This is God's ordained way of reversing the exile. It's his ordained way of birthing hopefulness. This may be one of my favorite passages of scripture that talks about ministry of the word and preaching. Let's picture it together. Use your God-given imaginations. Okay, God takes you out to a bone-dry desert valley filled with deader-than-dead bones. And he says to you, you want to see these bones live again? Well, sure. I mean, who wouldn't want to see that? He says, okay, preach to them. Uh, I'd not see the connection here. How, how does that? We got bones here. I mean, there's a fibula over there. There's a tibia there. There's a humerus over there. How is preaching going to fix this? On the surface, the method, the means, looks pointless. The method looks completely out of place for the task it's facing. Preaching the truth to dead, dry bones in order to bring them back to life. But this is God's ordained method. And God has been using means that appear pointless for years. Think back through the biblical story. Hey, Noah, yes, God, I want you to build a big boat, but God, we're in the middle of a desert. Hey, Moses, yes, Lord, would you like to get the people across the Red Sea? That would be nice. Okay, here's how you do it. Raise your staff to the sky. Jesus says to the blind man, you want to see again? Sure. Well, let me spit in this dirt, make some mud, and I'll put it on your eyes. Well, of course. I mean, why didn't I think of that? Mud, the magic elixir. God has been using means that appear pointless and out of place for the task it's facing for centuries. But this is God's ordained method of a resurrection. This is God's ordained method of reversing the exile. This is God's ordained way of birthing hopefulness. And it matters deeply that we listen to him on this. 
This means of ministry, this method of ministry is something that's been spelled out to us. Where there is no truth, death remains. If you don't bring the truth of God's word into the dark places of your life or the lives of those around you, you are not offering anyone ultimate hope. You're settling for a counterfeit. And after you've offered your counterfeit, the valley of dry bones will remain the valley of dry bones. If it's your desire to breathe life and hope into your own life or the lives of those around you, bring the truth of God's word with you. It's God's ordained means of reversing the exile and instilling hopefulness. We need to hear the truth. Second, we need to be born again through the Spirit. So here's what happens. Ezekiel preaches, as God commanded, to this scattered valley of dry bones. And what happens? Well, the bones come together, and they make a skeleton. And then tendons appear, and then flesh appears, and then skin, and it forms a body. This is wild. I mean, the special effects budget for the movie Ezekiel would be astronomical. We're only halfway there. All we have now are what? Corpses. That's all we have. Verse 9, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet a vast army. Now what is this? Well, it's a metaphor, of course, for a return from exile. God is saying you're virtually dead as a nation, but I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to give you back your hope. And of course, God eventually did bring Israel back from exile, and they continued to live with a national identity of being Israel, God's covenant community of faith. But as great as that was, As great as it was that they escaped this national exile, that they escaped national death, they were all still human beings, right? Yeah? And they had a different exile to deal with, right? The kind of exile that you and I have to deal with? Yes? They hadn't escaped death. They hadn't escaped the ultimate exile that started in Eden. And therefore, there was an even greater return from exile, an even greater escape from death that needed to happen than this. And you know, it did happen. In the original languages of the scriptures, the word for wind, the word for breath, that's used repeatedly throughout Ezekiel 36 and 37, is the same word for spirit. So the same wordplay of wind and spirit is used in John 3 when Jesus is teaching a deeply religious man about the new birth. He's drawing on Ezekiel 36 and 37. Same thing happens in John 20. The disciples of Jesus were gathered together in the upper room on the night he rose from the dead. Three days days after he uh, uh, rose from the dead, he appeared physically with them in the room. And what did he do? Remember what he did? He breathed on them. And what did he say? Receive the Holy Spirit. What's all that about? The wind and breath, all this stuff from John 3 and John 20. What's it about? It's about Ezekiel. It's Jesus leading the ultimate return from exile. The new birth is a return from exile. Receiving the Holy Spirit is a return from exile. So so Jesus is saying to them, I'm about to get you out of the ultimate problem. 
I'm gonna help you escape from death itself. And if you believe me, if you believe me, I will breathe my Holy Spirit into you. And then that means because I was raised from the dead, someday you'll be raised from the dead too. That, friends, is your ultimate hope. That's your ultimate hope. That's a hope that death camps can't take away from you. That's an infallible hope. That's an industrial strength hope. That's a hope that nothing can eradicate. George Herbert uh, was a great 17th century poet. He once said, death used to be an executioner, but the gospel makes him just a gardener. And it used to be that death puts you in the ground, but now because of the gospel, all death can do is plant you like a seed and then you become something beautiful. Herbert also wrote a hymn. It's meant to be sung antiphonally with two choirs. It's called a dialogue anthem. One, one choir sings the part of a Christian. The other sings the part of death. Here's how the lyrics go. The Christian says, Alas, poor death, where is thy glory? Where is thy famous force, thy ancient sting? And death says, Alas, poor mortal, void of story. Go and read how I killed thy king. Poor death, and who was hurt thereby? Thy curse being laid on him makes thee accursed. Let losers talk, yet thou shalt thy mine arms shall crush thee. Spare not, do thy worst. I shall one day be better than before. Thou so much worse, that thou shalt be no more. It's no wonder Peter writes to the churches in Turkey and says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We need to hear the truth. We need to be born again by the Spirit. And lastly, we need to believe the gospel. The imagery of dry bones as it relates to ultimate exile, death, is really an affront to human autonomy. We're told time and again, you can be anything you want to be. You can accomplish anything you set your mind to. But notice what the imagery of the dry bones says about the nature of our ultimate exile. We're not sick in our sins. That's not the imagery. We're dead in our sins. We're not just hurting and we need a little bit of help from God. We're dead and we need to be resurrected by sheer grace. This, re this, this imagery resonates throughout Scripture. One of the clearest places we see is in Ephesians 2. Paul writes, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We're dead. We're not sick. We're dead. We are cut off, to use the language of Ezekiel in verse 11. We're cut off. 
Adam and Eve were cut off. You know who else was cut off? Jesus. In Isaiah 53, it's a prophecy about the suffering servant. It's about Jesus. Jesus was cut off so that we could be received. He was cut off so we could be brought in. The means of hopefulness is to believe the gospel. If you want to have a hope that can stand up to death, you need to hear the truth of God's word. You need to be born again of the spirit. You need to believe the gospel. It's the only way hope arises. It's the only way. In the last 100 years, advances in medicine have been adding two years to the average life expectancy every decade. Two years every decade. But there are a lot of people out there for whom that's not enough. And they're going to great lengths to try to figure out this problem of death. Oracle co-founder Larry Ellison has spent $430 million on anti-aging research. And he spent an additional $200 million on his own cancer institute at the University of Southern California. He's often been quoted as saying, death never made any sense to me. I agree with that. In 2014, Google founders Sergey Brin and Larry Page announced a $1.5 billion research center. They launched Calico, a life extension company focusing on genetic research and the development of pharmaceuticals targeting diseases associated with old age. In 2016, Amazon founder Jeff Bezos and other investors gave $116 million to Unity Biotechnology whose aim is targeting cellular mechanisms at the root of age-related diseases. Entrepreneur David Asprey, he's the creator of Bulletproof Coffee, takes 150 supplements a day to delay cognitive decline. Asprey believes, he said, he believes that he will live to be 180 years old. His various pioneering treatments on himself have cost him at least $1 million so far. Now, when you read about this, you realize that this is a real thing going on out there. You do quickly see that they all have something in common. None of them possess a hope as of now that can stand up to death. Not a real hope. All of these people have an innate sense of the cause of hopelessness. But they're digging in the wrong place. There's one more thing I want you to notice about this story before we conclude. In this valley of dry bones, if, if this valley of dry bones relates not just to Israel's exile, but it relates to humanity's exile, then there's something else here to observe. Some of the bones Ezekiel saw belong to you. I want you to wrap your head around that. Some of the bones that Ezekiel saw belong to you. But if what Paul describes in Ephesians 2 has happened in your life, you are part of the vast resurrected army. We've been raised with Christ. 
and we've been seated with him in the heavenly realms. You don't just exist here, you exist there. And that is cause for rejoicing because that gives you a hope that can stand up to death. Let's pray. Father, we know death is an intruder and a monstrosity. We need a hope that death can't take away. A hope death can't erase. We need a hope that can stand up to it and transcend it. So we thank you that you have not left us dead in our sins, exiled from life eternal. Jesus was cut off so we could be brought in. So Father, we need your help to locate our hope in the truth of his life, his death, and his resurrection. You've given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. What is there left for us to do than to praise you and unleash your word into the valley of dry bones? We give you all the glory for it that we are now seated with your son Jesus in the heavenly realms. Pray that you would make that truth real to us now. In your name, amen.